Well, our Christmas series this year, uh, doing a series called The Songs of Christmas, and uh, um, as, as one very influential person in America said, there's no greater way to spread Christmas cheer than to singing loud for all to hear. And if you know the reference, uh, good for you. Uh, but uh, there is something, right, about when we sing Christmas carols like we did this morning, man, it just kind of gets you thinking about the joy of Christmas. And, and last week, uh, I focused in on uh, the popular Christmas song, Joy to the World. And we, we talked about Joy to the World and that, well, one, it wasn't originally written as a song called Joy to the World. It was a, a poem written about Christ's coming. And this poem was written 304 years ago. And then, and then eventually in the early 1800s was put to a tune and, and then renamed Joy to the World. And uh, what, what we talked about last week is that joy is, is a little bit different than just happiness. In America, we're told that our life is about the pursuit of happiness. Well, happiness is really just, it's, it's external. Uh, what we talked about last week is the root word of happiness is H-A-P, hap, which is Latin for by accident. Think about the word, it just happens. You know, like, um, like when your kid, you know, maybe broke something, spilled something, and you're like, what happened? They're like, I don't know, it just happened, you know? Um, well, happiness is the same way. Happiness is external. It's, it's if all the things around you are just right, I mean, how do you not be happy about that? You know, when, when the sun's out, you're sitting in a chair under an umbrella on the beach, and the, I mean, how, how do you not be happy about something like that, right? All the external things are right. But joy, joy is, is internal. And uh, if, our hap- if, if our happiness is based on external things, well, eventually some of the external things are going to get a little bit shaky. And, and so will your happiness. But joy, if it's internal, no one can take that from you. And so, and so we talked about how happiness then is based on circumstances. It's, just, you, 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 it's like you happen to be standing in that circumstance in the moment. And, but circumstances, as we know, change. But joy is based on Christ. And the happiness is... is based on chance. It's like, it's like the lottery, and none of you are going to win it. But joy, it happens by choice. You can't accidentally have joy. You have to choose joy. But you could accidentally have happiness. But it's only circumstantial and external, and it could change quickly. And what we learned is that great joy is for you. Great joy is for you. And so that was last week, and of course, all of our messages are always archived on our website, newlifeforkokemon.org, if you want to get caught up. But this morning, uh, how many of you know the, the Christmas carol song, whatever you want to call it, Go Tell It on the Mountains? And it goes a little bit like this. Go tell it on the mountains, over the hills and everywhere, go Tell it on the mountains that Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ is born. In Luke chapter two, verse one, it says, "In those days, Caesar Augustus, there is a giant bug. Did you see that? It's coming your way. It's fine, totally fine. Um, sorry, that guy's like, woo! I don't know what that was, but it was big and it was flying." <laughs> 
It must have came out of Ivan's sweatshirt. <laughs> right about there. I don't know. <laughs> Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken um, of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took, took place while well, uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, uh, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. You know, man, we could just really get into some things that are happening just there in this first couple of verses because so much about the Messiah that was prophesied hundreds and even a thousand years prior to this uh, in the scriptures uh, talk about how this Messiah will come from the line of David, and Joseph was, but also the scripture talks about how this Savior would come from this kind of little outside rural area called Bethlehem, and, but, but Joseph isn't currently living in Bethlehem. He lives in Nazareth, but how then is, this, is Christ going to be born in Bethlehem? Well, then Caesar Augustus chooses, chooses to have a, a census done, so everybody had to go to their hometown, so he goes down to Bethlehem for the census, and then all, it's like, when you read the Bible, and you understand a lot of the prophecies that are being fulfilled in the story of Christmas, it is really, really actually mind-blowing that God is really the author of the story. It's amazing, and when you read Matthew, just underlining your Bible every time it says something like, it is writ- it, as it was written, or, or in order to fulfill what was said. I mean, there's hundreds of times that, that even that, that, that Christ is fulfilling, not just some, but all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And even his birth, there are, the authors in the Gospels are writing very specific things about his birth that is fulfilling how Scripture said the Messiah would come. It's really, really, really amazing. And, and, and so anyway... Um, uh, and everyone went to their hometown to register. Joseph went from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to, to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And, and there, um, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, uh, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were, they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, and lying in a manger. The angel says, I, don't, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I want you to know today that Jesus is for everyone. Like, we have to, like, just fundamentally remember Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for the poor, Jesus is for the wealthy. He's for the healthy. He's for the sick. Jesus is for 
every race. Jesus is for men. Jesus is for women. Jesus is for our older generations and our youngest generations. Jesus is for everyone. And obviously, as a follower of Jesus, we want everyone to know that Jesus is for everyone. But many times the question that needs answered is why do I need Jesus? Why do you need Jesus? Why is Jesus for everyone? Well, the Bible says that heaven is a perfect place. No sorrow, no sadness, no pressure, no anxiety, no depression. A place of absolute perfection. Which means the only way that you can make it into heaven then is also to be perfect. Because if just anyone could get into heaven, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. It would just be like earth. And we all know what that's like. So there's two ways to get into heaven. One is to be perfect. Never sin. Never think a bad thought. Never hurt anyone. Your whole life. It would be like playing Major League Baseball and in your whole entire professional career batting a thousand, which means that you would never strike out, ground out, fly out. You would get on base every single time you're at bat for your entire career. Or it would also be like never missing a shot in basketball. Like 90% of the three-pointers last night the Pacers put up. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was, it was painful to watch. Uh, hey, but the Pacers are doing well. They're doing well. So, so it would be like never missing a shot in basketball. It would be like, it would be, this kind of perfection would be like bowling and, and, and rolling a 300 every time you bowl. And Mike Mooney, you might come close, but you're not that good. Or it would be like playing 18 holes of golf and always scoring 18. On 18 holes, not one. <laughs> I've, I've seen some of y'all golf. It would be... This kind of perfection that would get you into heaven, it'd be like obeying every traffic rule your entire life. And some of you can't do that on your way out of the parking lot this morning. <laughs> it'd be like never missing a question on any test, having a 4.0 every single year in high school and in college, or there might be another way. Or that way could look like someone else providing a way for you. You, you see, Jesus, when he came, Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I will never, ever be able to achieve. 
And then, in his perfection, in his innocence, Jesus died a criminal's death as though he were guilty of all the sin he had never committed. And and because he then is the perfect sacrifice, he never sinned, but he died the death that you and I deserved. And he did that in order to satisfy God's desire for sin to be taken care of. You see, sin is separation from God. Jesus then came and he, he provides a way for us to have access to the Father. But then the scripture says it like this, that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, there's an exchange that happens. Our old life for a new one. There's an exchange that happens. Our filthy rags of sin and then he clothes us in righteousness because of his perfect life. And because now, yeah, we're, yeah we, we're the ones that are really messed up, right? But now the Father, he, when he sees the followers of Christ, the Father doesn't see you and your mistakes. He sees the coat that you're wrapped in. He sees now that you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that your sins have been forgiven, have been paid for, because the Father is a good judge. He's a good judge. And, and that means uh, that uh, uh, sometimes a good judge, judge obviously judges rightly and justly. And a good judge will give sentencing that is appropriate. And sometimes a good judge... Let's you off the hook. And we have this thing through Jesus called grace. You know, grace would be like if you were if you were traveling down I-69 and you got pulled over doing 95 miles per hour. And I've seen how some of you drive. And, and, and the Indiana State Police pulls you over. He says, do you know why I pulled you over? I have no idea. Okay, I, I have a confession to make. Uh, I, I, I've been pulled over a lot in my life. Uh, and when I was younger, my, my buddies called me the warning king. because The warning king. Because they, they'd see me get pulled over so much, I'd always get a warning. Uh, until you don't, of course, but, uh, but, but I always, like, as soon as, like, I knew I was had, like, like, I pass the officer, I see their brake lights, and they turn around, before they turn on their lights, I just pull over, and I have my stuff ready, and I'm just, con- right, and they're, it kind of impresses them a little bit, I think, I don't know, uh, but one time, uh, I knew I was, I knew I was had, I knew I was toast, I kind of rolled through a stop sign. I say that very loosely. Uh, and so I rolled through this. I was turning right. I saw it was like really late at night. And I saw nobody's coming from my left. I was turning right. And I just, I just didn't stop. I went right through it. I turned right. And as my headlights went this way, I saw sheriff. Because <laughs> the side of the car is reflective. I saw a car coming from the right. 
No one coming from the left and just went. Sheriff. <laughs> I knew I was had. Sure enough, he turned around and pulled me over. He said, sir, you know why I pulled you over? I said, yes, I do. He said, why is that? I said, I have a headlight that's out. <laughs> and I, I knew I had the headlight out. And I was trying to divert the attention. I know, this is bad. I'm just confessing stuff. Confess your sins to one another, the Bible says. And, and he said, you know why I pulled you over? I said, I certainly do. He says, well, why is that? I have a headlight out. And he walked over to the front of the car and he looked. I had a headlight out. He goes, oh, uh, well, actually, you kind of rolled through that stop sign back there. I said, oh, I, you know, I think I, I, probably, I, think I did probably kind of coast through it a little bit. And uh, I got a warning. I got a warning. And so I've been thinking about this story because I currently have a headlight out in my car. And so you just kind of follow that in. If you ever get pulled over, you know, you can do the, do you know why I pulled you over? Yes, sir, I have a headlight out. Hey, I was telling the God honest truth. This is why I need Jesus. <laughs> but it'd be like you get pulled over and I-69, you're doing 95 miles per hour. The officer comes up to your window and says, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? I was speeding. Yes, that's right. Here's a check for $1,000 and walks away. And that's Grace. Now, Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You might be looking at that check going, I'm going to speed all the time. (laughs) And then Paul says, don't go on sinning just to get more grace. Uh, This is the grace of God, of Jesus' birth, to come and live the perfect life you and I never will, to, to die the death that you and I deserve, to set us free from the bondage of sin, to give us a brand new life, and out with the old, now in with the new, now we can walk in the light and not in the darkness. Why do you need Jesus? Well, a, a pastor and, and uh, theologian, uh, Roy Lesson, this is what he said. He said, if our greatest need had been information God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need on earth had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an accountant. And if our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior, and unto us a Savior is born. You can only know you need a Savior, though, if you can recognize your need for one. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified How freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The way that I I remember that word justified, and I want you to remember it too, to be justified freely. Justified means that you are made just as if I never sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it says in 
John 3.16, you know it well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, uh, uh, his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The 17th verse says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Jesus is for everyone. And you need Jesus. And I need Jesus. And we know people that need Jesus, all have sinned and fallen short. There is none righteous, no, not even one. So here's the thing. Um, there, there's more than one way to heaven. Jesus, as your Savior, but there's one more way to heaven. Be perfect. Your entire life. So if those are the only two ways to heaven... I'm just guessing that Jesus is your only way because he's my only way. Option two, I have already messed that one up. Maybe you have too. And Jesus is the only way. And there are people in our world today that need to know that Jesus is their only way too. Let's look, look again at the shepherds in the field, Luke 2, verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, dude, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, what did they do? They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And then all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So I want to give you three things today to encourage you, to embolden you this Christmas season. The first thing is that our assignment is the same as the shepherds. Go and tell. Go and tell what you have heard. Go and tell what you have seen. That is the mission as followers of Jesus. Look at it right here in Matthew 28, uh, 19. This is called the Great Commission. These are the words of Jesus shortly before he ascends to heaven. This is what he tells his disciples. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all people, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This was, this was Jesus' instruction. This is the commission. This is, this is what his commissioning to us as followers to be a go-and-tell type people. That, that we have to carry with, this, with great compassion that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that there are people, real people, that we really know that are dying, that are suffering, that are struggling, that are still caught up in the bondage of sin, and there's only one way for them. Jesus. 
We have to have a go and tell mentality to our life. And I want you to know is that the church wasn't just meant for rows like this. The church was meant to make marketplace impact. In the early church, when the Holy Spirit fell, the early church went out into the marketplace and began to teach and preach and saw people added to the church on a regular, the Bible says, daily basis people were added. Because the church, we are meant for marketplace impact, that we are a go-and-tell kind of people. The church is not meant to be a come-to-this-event. The church has been commissioned with a mission to go. And our mission is the same as the shepherds that day. They went and told what they heard and what they saw, and people were amazed. So we have to have this go mission. We have to go there because, guess what, there's hurting people there. We have to go because someone is lost and alone. We have to go because someone is hurt. We have to go because someone has lost all hope in life. We have to go because someone is bound in sin and addiction. We have to go into the darkness and to shine a light. And over the last two decades, there has been a major shift in focus. And this has caused personal evangelism to be at an all-time low. I don't know about you, but I remember growing up in church, we talked a lot about personal evangelism, that, that we each have a personal ministry, a personal mission to reach those around us. And a couple things have caused this great cosmic shift in personal evangelism. And, and, and one, one is that, that the cultural ethic and tolerance has been, to, has been pri- privatizing faith. So, so, so now believers in Jesus feel like, well, my faith needs to be a private thing because it's just not culturally acceptable. And, and also Christianity has become something that we do on Sundays and not something that we are every day. And more and more we see a post-Christian culture trying to rise to the surface, meaning that a Christian worldview is no longer primary. And unfortunately, even those that claim Christianity, they don't have a primary Christ-centered worldview either. So due to the forward march of secularism, the growth of other religions, perceptions of Christian responses to moral issues, in leadership scandals associated with Christian groups. Due to this shift in culture, what used to work in reaching people becomes less and less effective. But the most effective method in reaching people with the hope of Christ has been the most effective method in all time. And it is when an individual person has a go and tell mission in their life. You see, we, the, the church over years has done all kinds of things. And it has been effective. There's all kinds of methods that though we'll even try at New Life just to, to get Jesus to people. You used to be able to Pitch a tent in a field and people would come and get Jesus. 
You, you could go and, and hand out tracts. Or, 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 or maybe, maybe you've done this. I remember we would go and, and go door to door, knocking on doors. They'd invite us in, or we'd sit on the porch and, and share Jesus with them. These things, there was a effective methods to this. And then Christian radio came on the scene, and that became effective. Christian TV became effective. And all of these things have been effective in the past until they're not. But there is one thing, one method that has held true since the beginning of time, since the beginning of the early church. It is still today the most effective method of getting Jesus to people. It doesn't cost marketing dollars. You don't have to put billboards up. You don't have to run ads. You don't have to mail them anything, email them, text them, call them. You don't have to do any of that. But the one thing that stands true is that when one follower of Jesus, and as an individual, shares Jesus with somebody that is in their realm of influence, person to person, it's like a gospel influenza. It doesn't spread in quarantine. It spreads on contact. Come on, let's make this a contact sport again, y'all. When light makes contact with darkness, darkness loses every time. Because it has no power. Hide your light under, under a bushel? No! I'm gonna... Let it shine. And you are a city on a hill. And let your light shine before men. Hmm. So the second thing I want you to know is that when you find Jesus, you'll go find people. Because this is a go and tell kind of mission. Just like the shepherds that day. Just like when Jesus called his first disciples. And when he, when, when he called Philip, come follow me. When he called Nathaniel, come follow me. Nathaniel goes and you know what he did? He went and found Philip. He said, Philip, we found the one. The Messiah, he's here. And then those went and found others. We found, they went and told what they heard and what they saw. This cannot end in this day and age. We have to be a go and find kind of people. So they hurry off in Luke 2. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they, they spread the word concerning what they had, had been told and about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. When, found, when, when you find Jesus, you will go find others. Guess what I heard? Guess what I saw? Guess what he did in my life? Guess the difference it has made. I'm brand new. You can be too. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 4, 19. Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you, I will send you out now to fish for people. To come and find Jesus and just to keep it to ourselves is criminal. Jesus says, I will send you out now to fish for people. And what I really believe more than ever, is people are ready for a Savior. They're ready. We should not be afraid. They're ready. 
And here's how I know. I know this is true because people are so quick to find the next man or woman that is going to be the new hero of the world, the new voice of change, the new answer to calamity. Uh, the pe- people that don't have the hope of Jesus, they're so quick to jump on the, the next social charge for change. Animals' rights. Protect the environment because something deep inside of people want to live for something bigger than themselves. They're, they're calling out for it. They're looking for it. How quickly our culture starts to buy into the next politician, the next voice of a celebrity, or an athlete, or some organization, believing that this is going to bring change. People are ready. They're ready for a savior. They're looking for one. And the world is selling a new savior all the time. And the church should not be quiet about it. Because there's two ways. Perfection or Jesus. You see, for the Hebrews in this day, during these events, the Messiah had been long, long waited for, anticipated. And you, you may know this or not, but in their day and age, there was over 124 people in the early first century during that time. There was over 124 people that rose up and claimed to be the Messiah. 124. Some of them even fulfilled some of the prophecies of the Old Testament. But then there was this one that fulfilled all the prophecy that God himself killed. Rather, he laid his life down and then three days later overcame death, hell, and the grave, proving that he really was the main event, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. It was not uncommon for people to say, I'm the Messiah, and even had disciples and a following. You know what they did to those 124 people that claimed to be Jesus the Messiah before Jesus? You know what they did to them? They'd kill them. Because it's blasphemous. And they killed Jesus too. Claiming his blasphemy and other things. But as we know, when he rose again, the proof is in the pudding. He's the real deal. People need a Savior. I think people are ready for a Savior like Jesus. They are ready for the real hero in their story. And so here's what I want to tell you this morning. That when I was a boy growing up, my dad would say this to me every morning on my way out to the bus stop from out the front door of our house. I'd say, bye, Dad. I'm going to the bus. He'd say, bye. Have a good day. Show him Jesus. Those three words. And that would ring in my mind as I, those last words on my way to the bus stop and, and then on my way to school and throughout the day. Show them Jesus. I remember when I was a youth pastor in our youth room, on the, on the back door uh, in our youth room in Indianapolis, I had this big sign printed up. 
and I posted this big sign above the door so that when students, when they were leaving on their way out from our, our evening and back to their homes and neighborhoods and, and their school campuses, I put this big sign across the top of our door. You couldn't miss it. This is what it said. Show them Jesus. And just, I just remember that. And, 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 and people are ready. They're ready. They don't know what they're looking for, but they're ready for it. Show them Jesus. So, so last of all, what I want to encourage you with is this. Go tell it on the mountains. Go tell it on the mountains. Go tell it in the marketplace. Go tell it at, in your neighborhood. Go tell it to your neighbor. Go tell it to your coworker. Go tell it to the person at the grocery store. Go tell it to your brother, your sister, your cousin. The, and the best place for you to start is in your realm of influence. The people you know, the people you used to know, and even the people that you want to know. Go tell it on the mountains. Acts 8.4, this is what it says. It says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This is speaking of the early church that were persecuted heavily for their confession of Christ. But when they scattered, the gospel spread more and more because they preached the word wherever they went. I want to be a going kind of church. I, 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 I don't want to be a, a, you know, people should come to this event. I want to be empowered to be the individual sharing person to person the hope of Jesus, which means you're going to have to get really good at telling your story. You're going to have to be really good at telling your story and sharing your story with other people to inspire so they can hear and know because it's about sharing what I heard and what I've seen. Let's be a going kind of church. New life, go tell it on the mountains. Jesus Christ is born, the Savior of the world. Let's be a going church. Would you stand with me this morning? Maybe you're here today and and you need to make that decision that before you go, you need to come to Jesus. And when, because once you find Jesus, you'll go find people. Maybe you need to reintroduce yourself. Maybe your faith was something you had years ago. You've kind of let it, let it slip. You've, you've kind of slid away. You've, you've not been as focused. But may, maybe this Christmas, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life again. You can do that this morning. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved because it's with your mouth that you confess and are justified. It's with your heart that you believe and are saved. It is a matter of belief, placing your trust and your hope in him and be saved. And for those of us, the, the rest of us here today, the, 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 the call and the challenge is that, is that we would be a go-and-tell kind of people. So God, I pray right now that you would inspire something within us. Would you stir something back up in us? Lord, maybe like, like when we were first saved and we, were, we just had that fire in us that we wanted to be a go and tell kind of people. 
Would you, would you stir that back up in us? And then would you give us an awareness to see the people that need you around us? And then by your Holy Spirit, would you give us the words to speak, the boldness to speak, with great love and compassion that people can find you and be saved? Because the greatest need of humanity is not any other humanitarian need. The greatest need is forgiveness. And eternity is at stake. Thank you, God, for sending your son. Thank you for saving us. And God, may your found people find people. In Jesus' name, amen.